You are listening to KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Thursday, March 17th. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Ahead on the California Report, lawmakers try to give drivers relief at the fuel pump, with some suggesting a suspension of the gas tax. An anticipated new spike in COVID cases isn't showing up in the state's wastewater yet. And the Port of Los Angeles is reporting its best February ever. After regional news and weather, Nevada County's Mike Dent has an update on two developments that will add 90 units of affordable housing to our community. And we end with Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. A group of mostly Democratic lawmakers plans to formally introduce a proposal today that would send California taxpayers a $400 rebate to help with the recent surge in gas prices following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The proposal appears to have bipartisan support in Sacramento as lawmakers try to ease the financial burden on California drivers who are dealing with average gas prices of $5.79 a gallon, according to AAA. But many Republicans are also calling for a temporary suspension of the state's gas tax. In San Diego County, the Board of Supervisors this week approved a motion calling on Governor Newsom to suspend the gas tax for a year. Here's Supervisor Jim Desmond. It's inexcusable to see the pictures of the gas signs at six and seven dollars. And that's why I think it's critical that a temporary suspension of the 51 cent per gallon uh, state gas tax be suspended. The gas tax hurts our seniors on fixed income, low-income families, middle-class families, and anyone who has to drive to work. San Diego is the first county in the state to call for a temporary suspension of the gas tax. Those who are in favor of finding other solutions have argued a suspension of the gas tax might not help lower prices, as there's no guarantee oil companies would pass on the savings to consumers. Scientists monitoring Bay Area wastewater for signs of another coronavirus wave driven by an Omicron subvariant have not detected any sustained rise in the region. KQED science editor Kevin Stark reports. Researchers are seeing more of the BA2 mutation, a more contagious version of Omicron. They say this subvariant appears to be responsible for a couple of bumps that appeared in wastewater in Palo Alto and San Francisco, but quickly subsided. The state's winter Omicron wave was fueled by BA1, which is falling in concentrations across the region. The scientists expect BA2 will eventually dominate here and are watching for signs that it could drive a spike in new cases. But there's not much sign of that yet. CDC officials estimate that BA2 now makes up a quarter of new COVID cases in the U.S. For the California Report, I'm Kevin Stark. Advocates for disabled people in California are calling on Governor Newsom and local health officials to reinstate the state's mask mandate for indoor settings. Christine Mitchell is a public health researcher in Oakland who was born with Marfan syndrome, an inherited disorder that affects the body's connective tissues and often impacts a person's heart, blood vessels, and bones. Mitchell says the messaging she and others in the disabled community are receiving now is that at this stage in the pandemic, things are mostly fine. But she says that's not the case for everyone. The CDC messaging that wearing masks is a personal preference not a collective responsibility. The fear and anxiety are no longer a collective experience. Now they're just the problem of disabled people, immunocompromised people, 
those with long COVID, elders, kids under five. Advocates say disabled Californians like Mitchell are being forced to choose between isolation and an increased risk of contracting COVID-19. In Mitchell's case, she says she may have to return to online shopping and avoid restaurants or other indoor businesses that have lifted mask and vaccine requirements. Support for the California Report comes from the California Healthcare Foundation, working to build a more effective, compassionate, and just healthcare system. On the web at chcf.org slash health dash equity. Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Minor league baseball players have been pushing for better pay for years. Now, a California state senator is hoping his legislation can lead to a national movement to help them. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi explains. San Mateo State Senator Josh Becker introduced the Minor League Baseball Players Bill of Rights this week, which he says would modernize work conditions for players. The more you learn how these minor leaguers have been treated from a contractual standpoint, from a pay standpoint, we said we have to do something. The bill would allow players to retain their rights to their name, image, and likeness without affecting their eligibility and status with their minor league team. And it would also prohibit contracts from lasting longer than four years. Harry Marino, executive director of the group Advocates for Minor Leaguers, says that's an important provision and will allow players to earn a fair wage sooner in their careers. If minor league players become free agents, they become able to make what they're actually worth on the open market. So if if you're in that uniform player contract, the team is really stuck paying you only $1,800 a month during the season, $2,000 a month during the season, depending on level. A federal judge in San Francisco this week ruled that minor leaguers are year-round employees and that they should be paid for travel time to road games and for the time they spend at camps during spring training. Marino says this is a big piece to the puzzle in the fight for better wages. Players, as I said, have not received a paycheck since last September. They've been working for their teams all winter and into the spring. They're working every day, long hours at spring training right now, and it's time for them to receive the paycheck that they're owed. State Senator Becker says if the bill passes, he hopes it can be a springboard for similar federal legislation. For the California Report, I'm Keith Mizuguchi. And the Port of Los Angeles had the best February in its 115-year history. The port's executive director, Gene Soroka, said Wednesday that volume topped 850,000 container units during the month, up more than 7% from last year. And he said the backlog of ships waiting to be unloaded has eased. Today, there are 44 ships in the queue on their way to the San Pedro Bay ports. That's down 60% from a high of 109 vessels just back in January. Soroka says the improvement is the combined result of the increased cargo movement, plus a decline in shipments during the Lunar New Year in Asia, as many Asian companies shut down during the Lunar New Year period. Overall, he said this year is off to a good start, but it will be difficult to match 2021 numbers, which were record-breaking.
And that's the California Report for Thursday, March 17th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Alex Hall. Thanks for listening and have a great St. Patrick's Day. In regional news, with Northern California's rainy season having gone dry, some water and power agencies are trying to boost rain and snowfall through cloud seeding, according to a story today in the San Francisco Chronicle. Cloud seeding, mostly done with planes, sows rain clouds with a chemical vapor, including silver iodide particles that can bond with moisture, freeze into ice crystals, and fall as rain or snow. The prospect of chemically altering the weather stretches back to the 1940s and has been successful enough that SMUD, the Sacramento Municipal Utility District, has used it since 1969 to increase the rainfall and snowfall that helps fuel its hydroelectric power plants. A spokesperson for SMUD, Lindsay Van Lanningham, told the Cron, we see an average of 3 to 10 percent increase in snowpack as a result of cloud seeding. In other words, an area that might normally see snowfall equal to 50 inches of rainfall could produce up to 55 inches. According to the Chronicle story, SMUD sent up a cloud seeding plane Tuesday as a storm front moved toward the Sierra. Its target was the Upper American River area, where the utilities, reservoirs, and power plants are located. Cloud seeding aircraft released the silver iodide particles through a series of long, narrow tubes or flares mounted on the wings. The particles act as nuclei, and water vapor in the clouds bonds around them and freezes. If the particles grow heavy enough, they fall to the ground as precipitation. How often and when smud seeds depends on a number of factors. These include the presence of storm clouds, the physics of those clouds, and the frequency of arriving storms. As Van Lanningham said, The wind speed, direction, air temperature, moisture content, icing structure, available storage in our reservoirs, as well as numerous other factors, must all align perfectly. The Ali Orchestra at Sierra College restarts this month after a two-year hiatus. The orchestra was founded 42 years ago by local musicians who wanted to play orchestral music in a relaxed, welcoming organization. By the way, OLLI stands for Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, and this information comes from Britta Teigen via Ubinet.com. OLLI's new conductor, Wayland Whitney, is inviting local musicians of any age to consider joining. Many of the members are working or retired professional musicians. Some are students, and a few have picked up their instrument after not playing for decades. Rehearsals begin Monday. They take place at 6.30 p.m. at Sierra College in Grass Valley. I won't be holding auditions, Whitney said. The ethos of community orchestras is that musicians themselves know when they can keep up. He added, my approach to orchestra is to achieve high quality of performance and have a relaxed, enjoyable time. I'm afraid an entire generation of players and conductors were brought up on the idea that suffering was necessary for the art. It just isn't so. There's enough negativity and suffering already. Music should be a refuge. The group's website, ollieorchestra.org. Turning to our weather, mainly dry and calm as the week ends, a chance for foothills rain and mountain snow Saturday, followed by breezy, even windy conditions, and then much warmer next week. This evening in Nevada City and Grass Valley, mostly clear with a low around 41. Friday, mostly sunny with a high near 66. Clouds increasing Friday night with a low around 43. Shower Saturday with a high near 51. Sunny Sunday with a high near 60 and a low around 40. 
In Truckee Tahoe, mostly clear tonight with a low around 23. Friday in Truckee and Tahoe, mostly sunny with highs in the mid-50s. Friday night, mostly cloudy with a low around 28. Saturday, a chance of rain and snow showers with a high of 41. Breezy with winds of 10 to 20 miles per hour with gusts as high as 30 miles per hour. New snow accumulation of 1 to 2 inches is possible down to 6,400 feet. Saturday night, mostly cloudy with a low around 15 and a chance of snow showers. Sunday, mostly clear. In Sacramento and Woodland this evening, increasing clouds with a low around 42. Friday morning, patchy fog until 9 a.m., otherwise mostly sunny with a high near 73. Friday night, increasing clouds with a low around 49 and a chance of showers after 11 p.m. Saturday in Sacramento and Woodland, showers and a high of 61. Saturday night, partly cloudy with a low around 43, sunny and breezy on Sunday. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. You've no doubt noticed two large apartment projects that are taking shape in our county, one in the Brunswick area, the other in Nevada City. KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza talks to Nevada County's Mike Dent about how these developments will expand the options for local housing. Nevada County is a beautiful place to live, but it is expensive and the affordable housing inventory is very limited. However, two developments are in the works that will soon create 90 rental units. This morning, Mike Dent, Nevada County's Director of Housing and Community Services, updated me on the progress at Brunswick Commons and at Cashins Field, an apartment complex at Zion Street and Ridge Road. Let's talk about the Brunswick Commons and Cashins Field. Oh, wow. Those are two really exciting projects. And um, I've been over, I've been with the county for way more than 25 years, believe it or not. Um, But I've been over in housing for about four years now. And these are the first two real substantive projects that have occurred, you know, in in my effort to support the Board of Supervisors, uh, a priority goal. Their top, one of their top priority goals is affordable housing, making sure there is enough housing in our community, just not for the retirees that are coming in from the Bay Area, not just for dual income families with kids and, you know, in school. We, we need a full range of housing. We need housing for anybody who is housing ready, but on a fixed income. And we need housing for our workforce, uh, those folks that are making our meals, serving our meals, taking care of us uh, at merchants inside our community, teaching our kids. I mean, that is an important uh, and necessary chain that must exist for any viable community. And so with Brunswick Commons, that was a, a focus on folks that are housing ready but are on a fixed income. We have an obligation to support every community member wherever they fit in our society uh, financially. And so with Brunswick Commons, this is a real exciting project. It's a 41-unit affordable housing project. Uh, Listeners can look up behind Safeway in the Glenbrook Basin, and you'll see that big old uh, building on the hill. There's 41 units up there, 40 of which are uh, reserved for folks that are homeless, at risk of homelessness, or on uh, some sort of disability. That's great news. What about Cashin's Field? Yeah, that's going to be, Claudio, that's going to be 51 units of workforce housing. And in both projects, it's a 60% 
average medium income limit, AMI. So it, I don't have those numbers exactly in front of me, but for a single person, it's right around twenty-two, twenty-three $23,000 a year. For a family of four, it's up in the mid 40000 So we're looking, we're talking about young families. We're talking about single parents, people that are in the workforce, having, uh, working towards our economy's engine. You know, those are the ones uh, stoking the fire in, in many of our businesses. Uh, this project on Cashin's Field, which is right at the corner of Zion and Ridge, super exciting. Um, it's scheduled to be completed either towards the end of this fall or very early in the spring. And um, it's it's going to pump a lot of housing options into the Nevada City area. And when these projects are completed, what will be the process for people to apply to these new homes? Oh, yes. So the process and both um, properties so Brunswick Commons is scheduled to be finished right around May 15th. So we're talking hopefully about six weeks from now, roughly uh, six to eight weeks. And so we've already started the process. So normally the Regional Housing Authority, which is a development partner in both of these properties, and since there are housing choice vouchers, or some people might remember them as Section 8 vouchers, assigned to each of these projects, uh, administers a waitlist process. So usually about two or three months before Sometimes even four months before the property is um, estimated to be completed, they start opening up what's called a wait list and they start taking applications. You have to fill out an application. It will be site-based for the location. And you fill out your application, you submit it to Regional Housing Authority, provide a bunch of um, backup documents on your income. They'll start doing the the screening process. So with Brunswick Commons, we've already started that process. And since this is kind of a... um, a, a building that will be re- only two referral sources, hospitality house or behavioral health. We already have about half of the building um, identified with residents. And we have uh, plenty of applications through hospitality house and behavioral health to fill the rest of those beds. And the list will be maintained and refreshed through those sources. So for the pu- listener out there, if you're not already engaged in, as a client of behavioral health if you, you, or staying at hospitality house, basically, um, your choices would be very limited. However, that's not the case for cash and field. So I would guesstimate, Claudio, right around the end of summer, they'll most likely open up the wait list for cash and field. And anybody interested, and we've had a lot of inquiries about how do we get on the list? You'll have to apply through Regional Housing Authority and the property manager that the developer um, puts in place. There's two steps, Regional Housing Authority for eligibility, and then the, the Property manager does the background-ish type stuff and assigns the units from that point on. Exciting news, Mike. Thanks very much for the update. No problem, Claudio. Appreciate the communication. Thanks. That was Mike Dent, Nevada County's Director of Housing and Community Services. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. One of the things that happens when you're a poet is that people come up to you at silent auctions or in line at the movies, anywhere you might be standing around, and ask you strange questions about your work. The questions themselves are sort of incoherent and not that important. It's what's behind them that's interesting. Almost every time, what they want to know is how I learned to be so creative and how they can learn too. Little kids would never think to ask me this, because they're still bursting with creativity. It's completely natural to them. 
but somewhere along the road to socialization via high school, college, paychecks, smog tests, and all the other responsibilities of modern life. Creativity tends to get lost, and we have to find it again. Luckily, it's not that hard. Creativity is about your essence, whether you express it in poems, paintings, dance, fiddle music, really great lasagna, or perfectly timed wisecracks at the water cooler. The way to become creative is to start being yourself as deeply as possible. This distillation is a lifelong process, but it's easy to begin. Walk around your town and have opinions about things. What do you think of that wrought iron fence, this billboard, those climbing roses? Don't say anything out loud. You don't want to be mean. I would never tell someone that his socks were a terrible color. Well, actually, I might, but only if we were already good friends. The reason to do this is to find out who you are. Do you like the window display in the bookstore? The smell wafting out of that cafe? Why? Why not? What do you like most and least? Color matters enormously to me, and I love the proportions of 19th century buildings, the gingerbread and mullions. That big white house at the top of Broad Street pleases my eye, and I think the government complex off Highway 49 is hideous. Maybe you're someone who could care less about houses and color, but can identify motorcycles by make and year, just hearing them chug up a hill. Go ahead, leave your desk and walk around for half an hour, finishing this sentence over and over. I am a person who dot dot dot. Do you hate contrived exercises like this? Are you someone who'd rather gaze into a computer screen than take a walk? Do you like numbers? Do you like snakes? What bores you? Who are you? The more you can find out about yourself, the more creativity will start to churn in your brain. Me, I like standing under trees and looking up through the leaves at flickering shards of sunlight. I like the sound of water better than the way it looks, even though I love the way it looks. I hate comedy, but love wit and cleverness and wordplay. I can't abide liverwurst, licorice, or muggy weather. Before COVID came on the scene, hugs made me secretly very uncomfortable, but now I miss them terribly. Touching elbows is no kind of substitute. And as I've said before, perhaps too many times, I like kissing. I could kiss for days. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast. Coming up next at 6.30, it's Money Matters with your host, Mark Cuniberti. On Mark's agenda for tonight, inflation, war, and oil. At 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Then KVMR returns to the eclectic music you love, 
Jazz Workshop at 8 with Derek Washington, followed at 10 by Road Dog Radio and your guest host, Claudio. KVMR Community Radio gets support from Harmony Books of Nevada City, locally owned for over 25 years, next to the Chamber of Commerce at 130 Main Street. Open Monday through Saturday, 10 to 5.30, Sundays, 11 to 4. Harmony Books carries thousands of books, including local authors. And Mercury Cleaners and Drapery Service, family-owned since 1971, offering full-service, eco-friendly dry cleaning and laundering of most fabric items. Two Grass Valley locations, Brunswick Basin, also South Auburn Street, has delivery service available. MercuryCleaners.net This is Joyce Miller signing off. Join us Friday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.